Hey, good morning. Y'all can have a seat. He's risen. I like that I get the second one. Eric has the warm-up one, which you all did very well with. But then I get the second one. Everyone says, yes, I get to say he's risen indeed. Uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If this is your first time with us, uh, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. My name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for the church. Uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians 15 today as we talk about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. I will go ahead and read it and pray for us and we will dig in. 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, uh, I do thank You that we have this day uh, to mark out, uh, uh, to just highlight so so importantly the thing that is of first importance to Your death, burial, and ultimate resurrection uh, Jesus, uh, help us to, to, to know this, to, to love this, to live in this. And, and for this not to be just some doctrine we check off, but a reality that impacts our entire being uh, and that our whole life is lived in response to the reality that you loved us first, that you loved us when we were not lovely, that the good news of the gospel is we can't earn your love, but that you came to save us and ultimately die for us and to raise. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd empower uh, the word today, the preaching of the word today, and Lord God, that you would glorify yourself uh, in the face of your Son uh, as we approach your text. Um, we pray these things uh, for your glory and for our joy in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. Uh, so it's Easter, which is awesome. Easter is a big day for us. Uh, Christmas is also a big day, and we love Christmas, but the thing about Christmas is when we celebrate Christmas, uh, Christmas is a celebration that God came to to finally do the things that he promised to do. That's what all the Christmas songs are about. This baby is going to come and, and do the things that God promised his people he was going to do. But Easter is our celebration because it's the celebration not that Jesus is going to do, but has done the things that he said he was going to do. That he has done those things. This is why the gospel is the center of our life. The gospel is the news that God entered into human history. It's the news that God came and lived the life we were supposed to live. It's the news He came to die in the place of sinners for their forgiveness and life. And it's the news that He rose from the dead. It's the news that He's ruling and reigning. It's the news that He's going to come and put this world back the way it's supposed to be. And this is news. The thing about news is that it's news. It's something you proclaim. It's not something you argue about or debate. You just say it. This thing happened and it changes everything. And when we look at this text in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's got three things for us to see in that news and in that reality. Jesus' gospel, Jesus' cross, and Jesus' resurrection. Um, this is one of my favorite Easter texts, so I, I don't preach it every year, but I do love it so much because I think the thing about this text is you can really approach it from a hundred different ways uh, and still get at the core of what it's saying. And, and, but at the very, very, very core of what Paul is saying here is those three things. So here we go, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, so a little bit of context, Corinthians uh, uh, is a letter to a church where everything's going wonky. 
And his final solution for all the wonkiness and selfishness and offness of everything they're doing, his final plan for how to fix what's wrong is to remind them what they already know. Uh, frankly, as Christians, I think we need this more than almost any other thing. We, we need to be reminded of what's actually important to our life, and he'll lay that out for us. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. There's a word that's missing here for us in English, uh, but this word preached here really means to gospel, to share the good news. He's being redundant. The good news I good news to you. The news I news to you. Uh, the gospel I gospeled to you. Uh, as we see, this is what's at the center of his, of his thinking. The good news I news to you, but it really has this weight of proclamation. When something uh, life-changing, when something uh, world-changing happens, we just pronounce it. This is the deal. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Now, hear this. Which you received. So the preaching, it means that they heard something. There was something to hear. But it's also something they received. The gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast. He just did a lot in like half a sentence. Right? This gospel, this news of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is something he preached and it's something they heard. Not only did they hear it, they received it and they took it for themselves. And that's, that's the thing we want more than any other thing in your life. That this isn't just some propositional truth and you kind of show up here on Sunday and say, yeah, it's nice and these type of things. But this is, is, is subsumes your This takes over your life. Because the reality that God entered into human history is a really big deal. It's news. So it's what they heard because he preached it to them. Not only that, but they received it. They took it. They believed it. They confessed it. Christianity is not just one of many programs. It's, it's news about Jesus. It's news about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they received. And we receive it. It's not a program for how you get to God, but it's the news that God came down and died on a cross to forgive you for your sins and save you. There's nothing you can do to earn, to earn that love. There's nothing you can do to go get it. It's that you received it. You received this news in which you stand. So it's not just that we hear it once sometime way back in our life and we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, check. I'm moving on with the rest of my life. But the reality of Jesus, the reality of what God has done and the way that God has magnified himself in the face of Jesus Christ uh, is all-consuming in our lives because it's that kind of news. It's the reality of Jesus that becomes the total concern for the Christian. Who Jesus is is the total concern of your life and that absolutely everything we do is lived in light of that. Not, not just what you do on Sunday morning or Easter Sunday or, or any other little part of your life or the Christian parts of your life, but how you buy a car, drive a car, sell a car, how, how you parent your kids, how you love your spouse, how you have Christian friends, how you have non-Christian friends, where you buy a house and what you do, how you do life, and all these different things are influenced by the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that's the individual life of the Christian, but also the church, Th that our church orbits around the reality of Jesus, not just on Easter Sunday, not just on Sunday, but in absolutely everything we do as a community. Absolutely everything we do as a community. And, and honestly, as a person, if, if you don't know who Jesus is, this is news. It's not just a, a thing that some, some nice people believe or whatever, but it must be responded to. 
We're either turning to or turning from Jesus. When you hear this pronouncement and you hear this news that Jesus saves from death to life. And it's what we stand in. So, so we're getting this total life picture. It's what he preached, and so they heard it. It's what, they're, uh, what they received, but also what they're standing in, and by which you are being saved. By which they're being changed and transformed, and by which we're making it day in and day out, in the good times and the bad times, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news of who he is. And which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. There's that gospel word again, bookends. If we hold fast. So I hear it. I receive it. I believe it. I stand in it. It changes me. And I hold on to it for dear life. It's a total life thing in the reality of Jesus. The word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. This is the cross of Jesus. Number 2. It's number two, but it's verse three. Uh, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Uh, Importance, we stick the word importance in here in English. It's just first. What's what's first? What's number one? Numero uno in this message. And what's amazing is even if you have a cursory understanding of Jesus, uh, maybe you saw even just a movie on TV about Jesus, there are a lot of things that you could think might be of first news that you might tell somebody about Jesus. He made blind people see. He cast out demons. He made the sick well. He preached the good news of the kingdom, which we're kind of talking about right now. But but you could go through all these different things. He turned water into wine. He rose people from the dead. I don't know about you, but that's not something that I see every day. Uh, That's a big deal that he rose people from the dead. Uh, uh, That people had the sick delivered back to them. All these different things we could say. These are really big deals. And in fact, any of these things you could point to and preach on and say, look at how amazing Jesus is and how this proves he is who he says he is. But Paul has this of first importance. This is what you need to know. If you only get these two verses, this is what you need to know. For I delivered to you of first importance. So don't hear me wrong. All those other things are really important. Everything contained in a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all good news and it's all important. But what he's saying is of first importance. What you need to know, what I need you to know if you've never heard this before, before you leave here today, this is what I need you to hear. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. Just a little note. He also received. Just like David. He's not up there delivering some doctrine he cooked up. He's a receiver just like they are. But because he's receiving, he's also sharing. What I also received. That Christ died for sins. Water into wine is cool. Feeding 5,000 people from a little boy's lunch is awe-inspiring. These things should all lead us to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's of first importance is that Jesus died for sins so that you can be forgiven and so that you can be made right with God. Uh, Sins are all the wrong things we've done, all the right things we've done for the wrong reasons. Everything we've done not to be loving or kind or courteous, uh, but to receive accolades or praise or whatever it might be, or all the right things we just chosen not to do. All of those things are called sin. And all of us have done them. And Jesus came to clean the slate for all of them. For all of them. What I also received, uh, that Christ died for sins. Now, Jesus who died, 
He's the only innocent man who ever lived. So that doesn't mean he's Joe Bean, who, who, who goes uh, to be executed, though he had done lots of wrong things. Johnny Cash reference here. All Andrew's cultural references happen to be from like 65 for some odd reason, because I'm a book nerd. So it's not that Jesus is framed for something he didn't do, but was a normal person who did some of those things. Wrong things, right reasons, or just wrong things altogether. Uh, uh, he's not somebody who did wrong things at all. And we need to really breathe this in to understand the depth of the cross. That he's someone who never did anything wrong. So he's not just sort of framed for something he did do, but he did do other things, so he sort of deserved it in the end. It's that he didn't deserve it at all. And then, in fact, you and I have all done those other things, and we all did deserve it. And the only person who didn't deserve it died, so those of us who do deserve it don't have to have it. He drinks the cup so we don't have to, even though we really should. He died for sin so that you can be forgiven and made right with God, not just at one point in time, but for your whole life. This is what's called atonement, and this is news. Evangelism is the word we use for sharing the good news of Jesus, whether it's what I'm doing here, what I'm telling about him, or when you are interacting with different people. Uh, and, and the thing about evangelism, telling people about Jesus, is that it's not, hey, this is how, this is the program and these are the steps I'm going to give you so that you can get right with God. It's the news that you and I have sinned against that wonderful God and his response to our sin against him was to come and save us. It's news that he came and died on a cross to forgive us for sins and there's nothing we can do to earn that love. We receive it. Evangelism is not steps to salvation. Evangelism is the news that Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul has on his mind of first importance here that cross of Jesus Christ. Now he says this about that cross. In, pardon me, uh, for I deliver you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. Um, if you've never read the Bible before, you could check out and verify what I'm about to say. If you've read the Bible, you're probably familiar with what I'm about to say. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one and read it. When you read the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament are going out of their way to prove to you that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God was doing in the Old Testament. Promises made in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. Promises made, promises kept, as it's been called. Okay. Usually what they do, and, and you can look and check this, you could read uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2. It's all over the place. Matthew chapter 1 through 5, they're all over the place. They'll say, and this was to fulfill the scripture, and then they give you the scripture reference. Have you ever seen that? And this was to do this, and that's in Isaiah, and this was to do this, and that's in Hosea, and blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do that here, does he? Almost always when the biblical writers say that, they give you the example. But instead, he says to fulfill the scriptures, and I think what he has in mind is all of them. I think what he has in mind is the whole reality and program of God. That God made all things good, humans broke it, and God made a promise to fix what we broke, even in Genesis 3, right in the beginning, that he was going to send a Savior to fix. That he had a program and a plan to redeem the nations, uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and that, that, that God was going to work through Israel, and God was going to work through a Messiah, and all this is told in the Old Testament. And I think what he has in mind here is that cross and that resurrection are the Fulfillment, the apex of all of that one wonderful story, history. 
And he continues, and I think this also is of first importance. I'm just keeping the same sentence. That he was buried. This is point three, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection. That he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. Here's the thing you need to know about people raising from the dead. So sometimes we can look and say people 2,000 years ago were people 2,000 years ago. They weren't that smart. They didn't know about reality. Uh, they didn't have microscopes, and they didn't have science. And you could tell people back then that someone rose from the dead, and they say, oh, yeah, cool, I believe in that. That's what's called anachronistic. It's not the case. You're imposing sort of our view on them of reality. Because it turns out 2,000 years ago, you tell someone that somebody rose from the dead, you know what they think you are? Crazy. Crazy. That's what they think. They think you're crazy. Uh, not only that, uh, I don't agree with everything the Bishop of Durham, former Bishop of Durham, N.T. Wright, has written, but he wrote this really big book on the resurrection. It's really, really, really big. And if you need something like hold papers down on your desk, and people be like, oh, look at that big Christian book that guy has. How holy and pious must he be? He said facetiously. It's a giant book. And he spends the whole book combing through ancient source material to prove that nobody thought that the res resurrection was a real thing. Uh, he'll use examples from Egypt and Assyria uh, and all over the place. He'll talk about mummies and he'll talk about the difference between all these different things. And he'll show that no one really thought that something like a resurrection was going to happen until the sort of back end of Old Testament history when people were starting to get the program that God had going. Uh, there were people even in uh, the Bible, you'll read about Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees, reading their Old Testament, said, hey, there's this thing called a resurrection and it's coming. The Sadducees were like, no, it's not. Sadducees didn't win a thing and they disappeared, but uh, they're in our Bible. They really only talk about the Bible and Josephus, but they, they were pretty commonly known for being the guys who said, when people said there's going to be a resurrection, saying, nah, no way, no way, Jose. This is a unique event in human history that someone rose from the dead. This is why he says it this way, right? That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, the plan, and that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. It's not enough that he died on a cross. It's not enough that he was buried. It's not enough that someone said that he rose. It's that he appeared. Uh, when you read even that, that Luke 24 account that we heard at the beginning of the, of the worship time, when you read these resurrection accounts in the Gospels, they're, they're sort of, um, for lack of a better word, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but they're a little unreflective. They're, they're kind of breathless. You get these accounts of these people who show up to sort of uh, take care of the body of Jesus who died on the cross, or they thought there was the Messiah and it didn't really work out, and they show up and there's an empty tomb and then there's angels talking to them and they kind of freak out, Right? It's not like a like deep reflection. Paul has thought about it. He, he's constructed an argument and thought about it theologically and how it fits in with the scriptures. They just say, <gasps> the tomb's empty. What does it mean that the tomb is empty? What happened? And then he appears. And then he appears. He's got stuff. He eats fish, but he also passes through walls. He's the same and he's different. He's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. And, and, and here's the thing about that account. 
It's very abnormal. I was just reading a, a historical account of a Roman guy who did not like Christians. And his argument, this is his argument, this is not a good argument, by the way, but it was a common Roman argument. He's like, they are these Christians, and they think that this guy was God, and that he rose from the dead, and again, this is him being pejorative, just to be clear, this is his view, not mine. And they believed some women that it was empty. And that was his whole argument, that based on the fact that women were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, that these Christians are idiots. Essentially, it's his argument. Now, knowing how the first century works in all its inadequacies and wrongnesses, don't you think if you were just trying to put something together, you might choose better witnesses? You might choose someone better than someone who everyone's going to say you're an idiot for believing those people. You might pick somebody else. They're there, right? Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he's a respected, respected guy. Uh, Nicodemus, both these guys go and take the body of Jesus and put him in the tomb. These are both really respected cats. If you were just making up a story, why don't you just say those guys saw him? Hey, the respected old guys in the community saw Jesus' empty tomb. Instead, you pick the most marginalized, uncredible in the eyes of people in the first century, witnesses you can find and say, they saw it. Well, why would you do that? Because they did. Because they're not trying to convince people, they're sharing people's news. They went and they saw it. And we have to see that it has to be both. It has to be an empty tomb, and it has to be appearances. Because an empty tomb is just a tomb where somebody took a body and got rid of it. And appearances with a body in a tomb are crazy people. Right? So it has to be both. It has to be an empty tomb. And it has to be appearances of that person who was in the tomb, walking around, making breakfast, eating fish, showing people his scars. It has to be both. In fact, it has to be both the cross and the resurrection. A cross is a common thing. It has to be both the cross and the resurrection. That's why it's of first importance to Paul here. A cross is a common thing. And I, and I want you to hear this right. I don't mean to belittle this. But a cross in first century, uh, the cross is, a cross is how an insurrectionist, someone who's a rebel against the state of Rome, dies. It turns out that the, the, the Jewish population in Palestine in particular, uh, they've been taken over by the Assyrians, uh, they've been taken over by the Babylonians. They're kind of taken over by the, the Babylonians. got taken over by the Persians. And then there was the Seleucids and the Ptolemies and all these different people. And it turns out they don't like it very much. And every time someone does that, someone says, hey, you got a sword? Let's go fight that guy. And they did that for a long, long time until they actually kicked them all out of the land in uh, uh, 130 A.D. So it turns out there were lots of insurrectionists. The way insurrectionists die on the cross, a lot of people died on crosses. In fact, Jesus is crucified next to two other dudes. Right? A cross in that sense, though it's a gruesome and horrific thing, and I don't mean to, to downplay that, is a common thing for a first century person. Another rebel of Rome dies on another cross. No big deal. And to be honest, 2016, it's just the same thing. It's just jewelry, right? Just a cross. When it's just a cross, it's just jewelry. It, it just goes on your record cover. Uh, it doesn't mean anything, or if it means anything, it's sacrilegious, perhaps. See Appetite for Destruction, 1987, footnote, right? It's, it doesn't mean anything. We're not concerned with a cross. We're concerned with the cross. The cross where the Son of God died to forgive us for our sins, to make us right for God, who does a thing we cannot do to forgive us 
but it has to be that cross of first importance, Paul, and the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, he raises from the dead. And the resurrection is the power that Paul says, that power and that reality is what empowers us to live this life for God, to live this changed life. It's not just that we're forgiven, but that we're given new life and a life with God and Jesus Christ. And that's why the resurrection is of first importance. In this apex and fulfillment of human history. And it had to be both. It had to be forgiveness and new life. It's not just that Jesus dies for our one thing, that one time, or, or there's some demarcation. He's going to die for everything you did before you met Jesus, but it's total forgiveness of our total lives because our total lives missed the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, in his total love and total forgiveness, forgives us for our sins and gives us life. And, and now we have this life where we can glorify and worship and know God. We have freedom and we have forgiveness. It's a both and. Because we can't clean ourselves up and come to God, but God comes to us in our mess and saves us and cleans us up and changes us. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to earn that love. We've all sinned against God. That's why Paul uses language for our sins. I've sinned against God and you've sinned against God. And whether you know him or not, you have. And the reality is that he offers us forgiveness and grace and mercy and life and new life and life in abundance. This is the good news that we preach to you. This is what I want you to be reminded of. The, the good news I want to preach to you. Uh, the good news that I hope you have received and which you stand and will be saved and you'll hold fast to. It had to be both. It had to be forgiveness and it had to be life. That's how you stand. This this is the reality, right? Jesus isn't just some political outsider. He's not just some insurrectionist. He's not just some nice teacher. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some religious figure. He's not just some nice guy walking around uh, the ancient Near East in Birkenstocks. He's none of those things. He's God. And if he's not God, he's not really worth our attention. He's God who came, though we have created a gap between ourselves and him. He crosses the gap through his cross to save us from ourselves, to give us life and redemption and freedom and forgiveness and to be made right with him. And, and because he's done that for me, then I live my, my life in response. Because he's forgiven me, then I can forgive. I want you to be forgiven. If you don't know him, be forgiven. Be, because he's loved me, I can love others. Because he's uh, known me, I can know him. My whole life is lived in a response to this wonderful, glorious beauty, even though I don't deserve any of it. And for as a church, that means as a community, we live to be bound by his word and to live to glorify his holy name and to do that as a people who love each other and one another, one another, living lives of sacrifice and service to help take care of each other for his glory and to preach this good news to this city and to preach this good news here so even you can hear it as well. Uh, if... If you don't know him, the, the message of Christianity is not a program on how you fix your life. The message of Christianity is that news, the news that Jesus Christ has come to save you from yourself and from your sins, that you can have life uh, in God. If you don't know him, today is the day. Receive his grace and mercy. And if, and if you do know him, is this indicative of your life? Is the resurrection, is, is it what Paul has preached is first, of first importance, the cross and the resurrection, is this indicative of your life? Uh, is your mark lived, lived out with these realities at the core? 
Is this the truth that you've received? Uh, is this the truth uh, uh, that you are standing in? Uh, is this the truth that's saving you and changing you? And is this the truth you're holding fast to? Because the good news is that God's the one who empowers you to do that. God is gracious and merciful by the power of his cross and his resurrection. It's Easter where we mark that off. But every day is an Easter day in that sense. Every day uh, when the sun kind of begins to peek over, we should remember in the morning. Maybe it's because I have kids and I see that sunrise kind of whatever time of year it is. When that sunrise begins to come up, we remember that that sunrise came up on the first day of the week and that tomb was empty. Because Jesus is risen. I'll pray for us and I'll we'll set up communion. Oh Lord Jesus, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your death, of your burial, of your resurrection. We thank you that this is the apex of history. This is the apex of our lives, but this is the apex of history. I just pray for us that we would receive this truth, we'd receive this grace, we'd receive this mercy, that we'd know that we can't earn your love, but that we'd receive it. I pray, Lord God, you'd help us to stand in it. That we'd know that we're loved no matter how much we fail. And, and we'd know what you've, how you've em empowered us to do the, the, the worst and the hardest things that seem hard to us. That you empower us by your spirit as we stand in your gospel to love you and honor you and serve you. Pray you'd change us, you'd save us by that reality of the gospel. And that we would hold fast to this truth and we preach this message to the city that we love. Jesus, we do love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, in a moment, we celebrate the cross. Uh, logistically, what we're looking at, we have gluten-free on the far side. Uh, we have uh, bread uh, in the middle, uh, gluten bread in the middle, juice and wine. Uh, this is communion. This is for Christian uh, people to receive. Uh, this is our proclamation about the death of Jesus Christ, of his body broken and blood shed for our sins. And with this, we proclaim that we are people who've been covered by that blood and live in the forgiveness and atonement of the God of the universe. And so when we do this, we consider our sin, we consider where we've fallen short, and we turn from our sin, and we turn to Jesus, and we receive his grace, and we receive his mercy, and we stand up, and we do this in a celebration of the reality that we have been washed clean by his blood, not by anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. So when you're ready... And then we'll stand up, and it's Easter, so we, like, we need to sing more. I would say that no matter what, but it's Easter. Let's sing. Jesus is risen from the dead.